welcome to Bonnets at Dawn, the show that explores the lives and works of 18th, 19th, and 20th century women writers. I am your host, Lauren Burke. And I am your host, Hannah Chapman. And this week, we are continuing Louisa May Alcott. And we're discussing the book, Work, A Story of Experience. So Work follows young Christy Devon, who is an orphan who has been raised by her aunt and uncle, but decides one day, no, this isn't for me. I'm not going to get married off to some guy I don't particularly care about and just be some kind of household drudge. I'm going to go and be independent. And she knows that kind of that's what's on the cards, right, Lauren? It's like a marriage of necessity. And this isn't this isn't what she wants. So then the book follows her through the years on this quest for independence. And it takes her through all kinds of different careers. And she does all sorts of, like, they're not even kooky jobs, are they? They're like no. pretty standard jobs, apart from like one. So she's a servant, an actress, you know, just because it used to be quite easy to be an actress in those days. Uh, a governess, a companion, a seamstress. And then it kind of gets a bit murky. So then in the second half of a book, she's like a girl of all work slash yeah. gardener slash child slash florist to <laughs> a charitable administrator question mark. Yes. Kind of then back into that girl of all work kind of florist to a war nurse, to mm-hmm. a business owner, and then to an activist. Yep, so that's the standard path, right? We kind of go go through the whole lot there, don't we? We really do. Lots, you've had lots of jobs, right? I have had so many jobs. Have you had more than Christy? I think I've had more than Christy, actually. Yes. What jobs have yes. you done? Okay, well, can I say, I have been a girl of all work, because at one point during my career, I was a temp, but also specifically, um, I was a temp for the Art Institute of Chicago. And mm-hmm. so they kind of, they call you a rover. And so you're kind of like, you know the institution, you kind of have like a familiarity with like yeah. everything. So you could just call, get called in to do like whatever job. So I feel like I'm gonna change that on my resume to girl of all work. So like yeah, some days you you'd should. be called, <laughs> yeah, like some days it's like, coat check and the other days it's like event planning or museum education or you know like assisting in curatorial in some way mail room so I did like everything that did, one could do I worked for a small business owner and like initially I was just meant to write like web copy for her and then I was mm-hmm. like writing web copy and building a website and sometimes babysitting her child and right. sometimes work would be going to a car boot and sometimes work would be going to a wedding or you know like it was just you never really knew what it was go- yeah like what it Girl was going to work. be and we're still it's very good great. friends. And it was, yeah, it was great. She's like family now, so. It prepares you for, you know, also. for a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, okay, like going back over my CV. Okay, here we go. I will I will list off my jobs and then you can list off some of yours. We'll compare and contrast. Because you've had a lot too, I think. I've had a couple, but I don't want anyone to steal my identity. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are like feel free to steal my identity it's, it's i'm not giving boring. you my national insurance number <laughs> please don't um okay here we go we will start with um i worked at a movie theater in high school mm-hmm. and then i was a roller rink dj 
Um, then there are the Art Institute years. So I had some permanent jobs there, but um, yeah, I did everything from ticket sales, coat check, data entry, stewardship coordinator, which is in like the fundraising uh, mm-hmm. realm, museum education. I was the department assistant for the film, video, and new media department. And then I left the Art Institute after seven years and I became a media coordinator at Leo Burnett. So that was a stint in advertising. Um, right, then I done. worked, <laughs> right? Not so glamorous. Not no, even, not drunk? even, did you get drunk Not even work? like Peggy Olsen glamorous. Oh, okay. Not even like, yeah, sad just glam. real, real sad glam. <laughs> um, then I had an interesting job where I was sort of like a, like a video editor and archivist for like a media company that was doing, oh, like cool. they were archiving like a bunch of like old footage from film warehouses. Mm-hmm. So, like, I archived all of the Johnny Carson show, which was really actually quite fun. Um, and you have no, you're shaking your head. Is. You're like, I have no I idea know who, who Johnny is. Carson is. <laughs> then um, I left that job and I was a library specialist at a pharmaceutical company. Which is when we met. Which is when we met, really? Oh, God. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And then I left that job to go into publishing, where I worked as an acquisitions editor in children's publishing and licensing specifically. And then I left that publisher to go to a different publisher, where I worked in like sales, marketing, and author relations. And then that's pretty much it, besides a few like odd jobs here and there. I feel like your jobs are so much more interesting than mine. Uh, it's like I did like shoe retail, clothing retail. I was a cleaner. Um, I then like did classroom support in that school. It was uh, like a special needs school. So I would help in the classroom in the daytime and then clean up the classroom at the end of the day for a little while, which was really nice. depressing because the kids knew that was my job. So some of them would make it extra dirty for me, mm-hmm. which was really sad. That's really uh, terrible. Yeah. Um, I worked in car insurance for a while. I did bookshop retail. I was a barmaid. I worked at the Jane Austen Center. I was a journalist. I built websites. I worked in comic book retail. Uh I loved working as a kitchen porter and a cleaner. Like I actually really liked that. It was super physical. Mm-hmm. I was just so focused on like, I listened to audiobooks and just yeah. spent a lot of time on my own. I was super depressed at the time. And that really rehabilitated me in a lot mm-hmm. of ways because it was just manual. Mm-hmm. Um, loved that job. Then uh, I went into editorial assistant for a science publisher and now I'm in a development role at the same science publisher. So you can kind of see it changed quite dramatically, but that's just Mm -hmm. because outside of all of these things, I was, you know, doing, I did two degrees uh, and the podcast and published comics and wrote about comics and organized zine fairs. And just loads of exhausting stuff. So like I had all of these crappy day jobs, but they were kind of the side hustle to my side hustle. But um, yeah, so you guys listening, you had loads to say about all of Christie's different jobs. I think you all had a couple yourself. Uh, Neve said that it was interesting to see Christie, at least early in the book, uh, strongly identifying with hard work as part of her character and that it's desolate without fulfilling her. 
So uh, Neve says that she was the absolute same until the recession hit Ireland really badly and she realised the economy doesn't care how good or smart you are. So it might not be a good idea to have work as a core part of your identity. Yes. Yes. That comment really hit me hard. Mm, I think it hit a lot of people. There are a lot of likes underneath yeah. that one. Yeah. I think that's a big message in the book too. Like it doesn't matter. Sometimes it just doesn't matter like how good you are, how smart you are, how, or how fast hard you are, yeah. or how hard you work. Like it just, it can be luck. It can be the economy. It's just like, a, it's a lot of factors. Other people not being assholes. There's a scene where Christy kind of goes out of her way to do a rush job for a customer when she's working as a seamstress. Oh, yeah. And she takes it over to the house and like, God, she really needs that money. She really needs that money. And the woman that opens the door is like, listen, my mistress is not going to pay you. She does this to everybody. Right. It doesn't matter how good this work is. You're not getting your money. Yeah, totally. Very relatable. There's a lot of really like relatable little mm-hmm. moments in this book, even though it was what, I mean, over a hundred years ago. Yeah. <laughs> There's like certain things that just like still have not changed. There's um a job interview that Christy goes to. And um, when the subject of salary comes up, she's like completely unprepared to talk about it. And I can't tell you like how often that's happened to me. You'd think I would know better. Yeah. But I also do like, um, it's very hard for me to talk about money in an interview, like if not with an HR person, like with that person that's like initially interviewing you and you like, you have a rapport and then suddenly they're like, so how much money do you want to make? And you're like, uh. What? And Christy totally chokes yeah. on this question and is basically like, pay me whatever you think is fair. And I can't tell you how much I've struggled with that and how many times I've actually said the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. That when I book, I when was, I was like, freelance, oh. I like chronically undercharged people because I didn't mm-hmm. value my own work, which meant yeah. I was unable to pay my bills and unable to continue working freelance. And so, yeah, for me, working freelance is just like, it's not an option long term because right. I I don't feel comfortable having those conversations and maybe that will change in time. But certainly when I was like 23 and a newbie and like, you know, fighting that imposter syndrome so totally. hard. Well, this is kind of like why I was attracted to this book because I think that like work in and of itself is like something that we we don't talk about a lot. And like, I feel like we should have, I should have had these kind of conversations in high school and in college to sort of prepare me for the workplace. Mm-hmm. And um, I I like looking for this sort of thing in literature. I know I talk about it a lot, but I really love the book like High Wages, which sort of goes over all of this That's stuff as well. That's by Dorothy Whipple. It is. And it's, it's a good one, guys. I highly recommend. But, um, but yeah, work another great vehicle for us to have these conversations so but I feel like it didn't go into as much depth as I wanted so like I know that um listener Rosalind said that she appreciated like Christie's conclusions on being an actress and that some people can do it without leading them to moral harm but that she's not one of them and like that struck her as being really modern. And I know that you also said on the Facebook group that you felt like it was modern too. But then Joy in the comments was like, oh, I just, I don't get like what is happening here. 
Like she's not going into it. Yeah. Yeah. So that is like the biggest downfall of the book. Maybe we should talk a little bit about like what we liked and what we didn't like really quickly. Because I think that was one of the things that I disliked about the text the most was that um, she didn't get into the nitty gritty. Right. Like they're like every time something bad happens, like Louisa May Alcott just sort of like glosses over it. Like, um, yeah. Rachel, when, you know, we find out that Rachel, who is her best friend in the book at a certain point, has a less than desirable character. We don't really get into, like, what happened. No, I was reading. I was like, what did she do? What did she do? What did she do? Everyone is so angry. And then you read the bit when she's like, she goes to a Magdalene house or. or, And I was like, oh, Magdalene, prostitute. Okay, so she was a prostitute. And then you get to the end of the book and you're like, she wasn't a prostitute? Why was everyone mad at her? Yeah, so there's just, it's very confusing. Yeah, so like, you know, Christy's an actress as well. And then she stops being an actress because she doesn't want to go down a certain path. But you don't really What's that have part? an example. Yeah, you don't see like, even Christy tempted by going down this like dark path. Yeah, which is what Joy said. So Joy said, uh, I would have liked some scenes of her actually being nasty or overly grand or missing things because of the late nights. That's that's very Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> or yeah. having to flirt with gross men or something other than I really enjoy applause. I'm going to work really hard at my craft and I'm not going to bend over backwards to be nice to my former friend who is jealous of me because all of those things seem fine to me. And it's like, yes, yeah. Joy, I agree. You know, like you want that devil as Prada moment. You want it to be like, I'm doing really well. I'm doing, I'm being really successful, but at what cost? Right. And I, you don't get that with like a lot of these careers, right? So like when she goes on to be a companion, which I know we'll talk about in a minute, it's like unclear to me really why she leaves when the family are like, oh, you should stay with us. I was like, (laughs) there are so many points where people are like, you're good at this. You should stay. And Chrissy's like, no thanks bye bye yeah you're like what's going on so okay let me back it up a little bit and tell you just a little bit about work and then what i like about it so work is a semi-autobiographical novel that despite the first half being written earlier was not published until 1873 so that's five years after little women And uh, once Little Women was this big hit, all the publishers wanted, you know, more, more, more from Louisa May Alcott. So she pulled this book off the shelf, quickly finished it and published it. And I think that that's pretty evident when you read it, because it does feel like it does feel like it was written at two different points in her life. Honestly, Mm -hmm. Um, the style and the pacing really changes it's it's kind of a ride I mean I feel like the first six chapters we were just racing through it like a hundred miles per hour and then suddenly in the second book we're just like in traffic the first half really reminded me of so I I really didn't think I was going to finish this book I thought that we were going to record this episode and I I was just going to say okay Lauren tell me about this book because I don't care. I don't don't want to read it anymore. I've got too much other stuff to do. Like it just felt like hard work. And also it was reminding me of this game that we played when I was a kid called Fortunately Unfortunately, where you would take it in turns and you'd go around a table and someone says, oh, one day Mr. B is walking down the road and 
fortunately and then you say a nice thing that happened and then the next person says unfortunately and then you go and you build the story and that is how Louise May Alcott wrote this novel (laughs) yeah and it was just like this is too stressful yeah there's too much happening each chapter is like its own little thing and honestly it was just it was too much and also just I couldn't get past the narrative voice in the first Mm. half of the book more so than the second half for me like I think it tones itself down but it really sounded like um when we when we're doing the eight cousins read along and we were talking about how you know like maybe patronizing isn't the right word but like moralizing the Mm -hmm. the tone was and we excused it because we said it was a book for children that she was writing it for a specific style of magazine and so there was a reason for the book being written that way so then to see that in a book which is apparently for adults but there's still that kind of like I'm going to teach you a lesson and we can all kind of aspire to be like Christy and I was like I don't want to aspire to be like Christy like right you know I like those characters aren't interesting I want to commiserate with uh with Christy yeah but and I feel bad, but honestly, it wasn't until, you know, I mean, the Fletcher stuff is interesting. And then when she realizes she's got a crush on David, I was like, maybe this is going to be interesting. And then it mm-hmm. kind of was, but then not quite. Like, I would happily never read this again, I think. So, right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, no, it's fine. I don't think you need to. I, I have like really, really mixed thoughts on this book. On one hand, I really like the structure. So, like, you have a job, mm-hmm. servant, you know, and then, you know, then in the chapter, she goes on to describe sort of like the duties and the setup of the household and sort of, you know, you get like the feeling for the job and then, you know, your coworkers and then thoughts on the employer. Yeah. And then each section sort of ends with a disaster that ends that job. So I like that as a structure to a book. I would. um, If it was a I comedy. Would, uh, yeah, yes, I would read that as a comedy. I would read that as an anthology in any time period. If people mm-hmm. just like a bunch of people sent in like a very concise, like, you know, 10 pages on a job that they had, the workplace politics, and then what disaster happened that they had to like just then leave that job. Mm-hmm. I think that's actually quite good. Because um, again, like, I think it's valuable to tell like stories about work. And it's something that I'd like to see more of in a middle grade or young adult book, which is still how I read this book, even though this is technically a book for adults. Yeah. It's just um, it's just clumsily done, isn't it? Like it's disjointed. It drags in weird parts. Um, Maybe like I kept thinking about like how to fix it the entire time, like as if I was editing this book. Right, yeah, like, what is it that is missing for me as a reader? Yeah, because I would, because I, I just feel like this book has potential, but it's just mm-hmm. not there. Like, it needs, I think, a really strong through line. Mm-hmm. Like, we need to give Christy a goal. I mean, because I don't know her. I don't know what she wants. So, like, let's say that Christy's like, I want to open up a cafe. Like, that's my freaking dream. I want to open up my own pie minister. That's what she I just, wants to do. I'm just laughing because like literally last week, Lauren and I were having a conversation <laughs> about how we might be scary to other people because we're so goal oriented. <laughs> and here we are critiquing this book from like a hundred years ago. Like, you know, the real problem with this heroine is that she doesn't have a goal. <laughs> 
that's like, my problem. Like, are we monsters? The problem isn't with this book. It's that we are awful people, Lauren. I, I think but that's carry probably on, true. Because I yes. think you're right. <laughs> I think I think Christy needs to open up a cafe. Like, I want to have a sit down with Christy and be like, Christy, <laughs> I know that the options are limited, but what do you want to do, girl? Like, what do you want? You want to make some dresses? Yeah. You want to open up a shop? You want to, you know, run a cafe? Like, because her thing is want? working for working's sake. Yes. But what does that mean? So here's the thing, though. Like, when the book first started, I thought it had a lot of potential because there is this line that she has at the beginning of the book where she's um, talking to her aunt and uncle. And she's like desperate to get out of the house. And I don't know how old she is, but like 18 or something. Mm-hmm. And she says, you know, do you see those two logs on the fire? Well, that one smoldering dismally away in the corner is what my life is now. The other one blazing and singing is what I want my life to be. So, so I'm like, OK, Christy wants something. So going back to Christy's first job, she was a servant. You know, her boss is kind of like new money, ridiculous. Um, her co-worker is a freed slave. Um, she's learning a lot from her co-worker. She's, she's learning a, a lot about her employers. Um, and then it's all cut short because she... She steals uh, a candle and she uh, is reading a book and then the book catches on fire. And so she nearly burns the house down. Yeah, and then, so then she's like, started laughing. She faints from like smoke inhalation or something, doesn't she? Yes. Is that what happens? Yes. It's bizarre. I like that. That makes sense. I like that. That makes sense. So it seems kind <laughs> of like funny. <laughs> I just thought it was like that seemed concise and yeah. funny. And like, I like the the male employer is just like laughing at the whole thing. He's just like, yeah. what is happening? And his What's wife's going like, on? his wife's like, fire this girl immediately. She's got to yeah. go. And he's just like, what? I don't know. <laughs> so I was like, that's a good, okay, this is a good example of a chapter here. Then we move on to the we move on to the companion chapter. It just is like bizarre. It feels like she was working through a plot for one of her gothic tales, right? It's like yeah. this crazy family, they've been cursed by love. You know, the daughter tried to commit suicide. And you've got like the young daughter who's like the innocent and she's beautiful and young and she's not kind of, she wasn't here when all of this was happening. And then you've got the oldest brother, like the priestly one who's very serious and he's called Augustine, which is a great name for a wealthy priest son. And then you've got like the young wild one called Harry who's just throwing his life away and you know, and then you've got like tragic Helen who's like pale and sits on the couch looking at a photo of her lover who again is probably like, I don't care about this girl. Like we dated for a bit. Now she says she's <laughs> mad, you know. And they hate their mother because they she married because their father. She was selfish and she knew about this sickness, but she still allowed herself to have children and look what yeah. she did to them. And the, But the doctor agrees. He says, like, you won't all be mad. It's just these two. Yeah. Bizarre. It's bizarre. And then it ends with Helen committing suicide. And it just puts a really different spin on the book. But it's interesting because even even though Helen obviously does ultimately, like, end her life, um, I think there's only one chapter where she doesn't form a close female bond with someone that she works with. And that's mm. the uh, governess chapter, because as we all know, if you get a job as a governess, you're going to have a love affair. 
and that's why you take that's why you take the job so that you can have a little flirt and so we're introduced to this guy philip fletcher and then you don't have that like you know she's not close with the female employer she's not really close with the any of the children and so that's at the heart of it whereas in everything else it's these kind of female relationships for the first half of the book that are driving the plot forward yeah absolutely i mean that's um something that our guest marlo actually from last week pointed out that she really loved the female friendships and work and there's a lot of really lovely examples of that in the book you know the ones that jumped out to me were the maternal relationships Mm -hmm. christy's aunt for example like she's very like you know supportive and, you know, it's like, yes, you know, you should go out there and experience the world. There's Hepsi, who she meets at her first job, who sort of like helps guide her along and like put puts her in check because Christy's like she shows up and she's like, wait a minute. Am I supposed to like shine this guy's boots? And Hepsi's like, well, as a matter of fact, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's what you're here for. Um, but she really helps her along. There's also uh, Mrs. Wilkins. She's the she's like the washerwoman, right? I like yes. Mrs. Wilkins. There's Mrs. Wilkins who helps her along um, and takes her in after the suicide attempt. And there's uh, Mrs. Sterling, the Quaker mummy. Yeah. Who's very, very sweet with Christy. So um, and that sort of employs her at the the catch all, the girl with just ev- doing everything. What is her she's job? a cook. Her job she's is cook. just having a I nice she's a time. Florist. <laughs> Flirting and bacon. I think she's just like there to be like a wife in training, it feels like. Yeah. It's very odd. I'm not sure what's happening at that point. It farm. sounds nice though. Actually, I kept thinking yeah. of um what's that um book by Margaret Atwood? Alias Grace. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's like Well, yeah. But she doesn't Christy doesn't kill anyone. No, she but doesn't. Maybe she should have. Great book, Alias Grace. I haven't read it. Oh wow. Very, very compelling. <laughs> Now that's a bit <laughs> very, very different to this book. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, um, I, I, yeah, I kind of like the maternal figures in the book because it's like um, there's a lot of failures, there's a lot of mm-hmm. down moments, and so these relationships like keep it positive. It keeps it keeps it light. Never feels terribly cynical. Yeah, so, I mean, this book is like the opposite of cynical, right? Yeah, you know, (laughs) even even, though there are some really weird and depressing things that happen, like multiple suicide references, and yeah, yeah. not a depressing book. No, not at all, not at all. Um, what were some of the like the relationships, the female relationships that like sort of jumped out at you? I like that you specify because we all know I'm boy crazy, (laughs) and I'm like, yeah, let's talk about Fletcher. Um, (laughs) I really, I did really like that. Um, so there's a point after Rachel, uh, after Christy has been working as a seamstress and she makes this one friend with Rachel, uh, who's this like mysterious kind of proud girl that she can't get a handle on, that she just knows she's got to be friends with. And um, they become friends and then Rachel gets sent away. And then Christy, I think Christy ends up leaving too, because is that right? Christy well, loses that job. She does. So Rachel and christy meet because they're working together in the sewing factory yeah and rachel's very very talented and very lonely because she's sort of Mm -hmm. isolated so christy like singles her out and becomes her friend predatory (laughs) it's it's kind of it's kind of weird the way it happens 
But um, yeah, so she becomes her friend and then um, it's found out. I'm not sure how that Rachel has an unsavory background. Pause this and then watch that scene in Les Mis when they're picking on Fontaine. There you go. And that's how. That's how it goes down. And um, then Rachel is like, I'm going to, I'm just going to go. But Christy yeah. stands up and is like, no. <laughs> like, yeah, she's she, like, really talented. Like, yeah, like if she goes, I'm going to. Yeah. And Rachel does tell her not to get involved, like, like, stop it. And then Christy's just like, nope, nope, I'm standing up for you. And they both are turned out, basically. And then after that, Rachel basically goes off, right? Mm-hmm. She goes off to deal with her stuff. Christy is doing some work, like mostly at home. She gets really isolated. She's not seeing anyone. She's not earning the money that she wants. She can't afford to pay her rent. And it just it gets to this night where her employer is like, why have you put your best hat on? Like you're going to steal my money. And she goes off and that's when she gets turned away without getting the wages and she's got nowhere to go. And she finds herself by the river and she hits a real low point. And she is like, I'm going to, you know, she's going to throw herself in. But Rachel comes and saves her. And this Mm -hmm. is like months later. So she hasn't seen Rachel and Rachel appears. And what I really loved about it is was that it was this female friendship that was kind of pulling her back. So it was mm-hmm. like loneliness and isolation that kind of drew her, uh, drove her to that point. But it was Rachel who kind of pulls her back and, and saves her by taking her to the home of another woman. And so you've got Alcott again and again and again in this book in multiple jobs and multiple relationships, just kind of reinforcing this idea of how important sisterhood between women is and like the importance of female support as long as you're not Irish. Well, yeah, obviously, yeah. <laughs> because that, like she, Christy is so anti-Irish in this. She really is. But yeah, um, so I did, I really liked that. And it it reminds me of um a lot about Old Fashioned Girl. And I know that Ruth mentioned in Facebook that it was reminding her of it, uh, of the book as well. But yeah, again, there's... um there's uh polly the main character who's slightly poorer introduces her friend who's like a socialite to Mm. all of these working women that she knows and they all live together almost in this like commune right where they all work Mm. and support and they've got that community which uh christy doesn't have at this point in the novel but that alcott is showing like to be healthy and happy and independent you have to have this network of women it's like uplift you at the factory i love the way that the foreman's actually talking about like you know how they only want to hire women of good character and just Mm -hmm. like how much, you know, your reputation like means and how you just like cannot make a mistake. There's a lot, you feel the pressure in that scene. And then later on when she goes to Mrs. Wilkins, when Rachel takes her there and uh, Mrs. Wilkins is like, I don't need to know anything about like what happened. Like you can just come in here, have a bath, like have some food, get some rest. Like it's okay. It's okay. Like things happen. Like let's just like deal with this and move but it, on. It really reinforces as well like that double standard between men and women. Like the guy's not going to lose work for right. Oh, for, for the relationship that he had with Rachel. And no, like let's, absolutely not. They, I'm assuming, were like living together before they were married. You know, like she's mm-hmm. not pregnant. She's not had a kid with him. It's just she ran off with a guy that she wasn't married to who will he will continue to prosper and you know likely do that again and again and again and damage the 
the reputations of like so many women and something that's a real problem when we discuss like a lot of work in the past is that we can be very dismissive of what guys are doing like especially the bad lads so we see all of Mm -hmm. their flaws and we're like they're not that bad but the Willoughby's and the Wickham's and the Thorpe's and the Crawford's as much as we want to like relate to them like this is like this is the cost of what of what they're doing and we don't necessarily see it in Austin but you see it in Alcott you see it in work is you can't you know you get driven to a point of despair and like Rachel recognizes in Christy a point that she was at and a time that she needed friends and she found those friends in Christy and in Mrs. Wilkins like so you asked me like which relationships um when we were doing our notes like which relationships I was interested in and I was like I feel terrible in saying this but I was like I perked up when Kitty appeared yeah, because she was a work and romantic rival Mm -hmm. and she really um, helped Christy or helped like the reader define what Christy wanted and like move the plot forward. And she adds some tension. Yeah. Much needed. And. Okay, I'm readjusting my glasses. Mm -hmm, She introduces mm -hmm. the idea of sex. Yeah. In a very, you know, not overt way, but like Alcott talks about how she's coquettish and how she's she's going out of her way. She's using she's using like childish, like ignorance to try and catch like catch a man and Mm -hmm. to do that, you know, and like the the things that the two see in each other that make them rivals are interesting. And I could have done like a whole book on that. Like a whole book about this older woman who's got all of this experience, who's like beautiful and quiet and like has this troubled past, who's come for like a new star. And then this young girl who doesn't really care about things, but she's like marking her territory and here she is and she's come to get the man. And, you know, not because she loves him, but because that's her place, you know? Right. And like, why? Like, why is Kitty like that? And why is Christy like that? And like Mm -hmm. David not, doing enough to recognize what's going on and just letting it all happen around him and it letting it get to a point where Christy feels like she has to leave like that is when the book got interesting like I was yes living for it uh, yes exactly so that so it takes a very long time to get there it's a really long walk but finally it's like Christy has made it to this farm she is working for Mrs. Sterling and her son David she is the wife in training and then suddenly this other girl shows up kitty and it's like wait you were here before me Mm -hmm. that so that was interesting i was like oh oh interesting david who are you what is this relationship why do you guys always have a girl in here what's going on and like there are so many points as well where christy is like oh she is not as young as she looks yes and i was like okay okay (laughs) yeah so now we have a little bit of like personality, a little spark from Christy. I'm like, okay, who are you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you and snarky? Also just, you know, uh, a false, like a marriage red herring, right? The mm-hmm. marriage red herring. So Christy leaves. She can't be around the situation anymore. She's got to get away. So she goes to the priest who kind of sends her to the Sterlings, Mr. Power. And she says to him like, sent like get me something else to do i can't be there so she's gone she's she's not been there she's kind of left kitty she's left david to kitty she's like fine you have him and then she sees kitty buying white gloves and she is like oh no kitty's gonna marry david and she can't believe it 
and then you know and like David's in a great mood and then it's like oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh like you just really feel for her right and you're like Mm -hmm. because men are stupid you're like (laughs) I totally believed in that moment that David had proposed to her you know that he was gonna like that made sense to me again I would read that book yeah we've read Villette we know it happens (laughs) they love the wrong woman um and so and it really reminded me of the tent of wildfell hall where gilbert like does that walk all the way to see who mr lawrence is marrying because he thinks he's marrying helen right and so yeah, he yeah, goes yeah. and she's like who are you marrying and he's like nothing it's just like my estranged sister who i haven't told you about but who you kind of know about because there's been clues yeah. around the house it's rachel <laughs> that threw me for such a loop like what? i was like what <laughs> what is happening yeah yeah um but we wouldn't get that that wouldn't even be interesting if it wasn't for kitty it's true thank you kitty i was just gonna say speaking of dudes yeah yeah so (laughs) do you want to discuss some of these boys i do want to discuss the boys i do want to discuss the boys so as much as this book is about female relationships i do think it's also exploring the ways uh in that marriage is not the only like vocation for a woman and so she shows all of these different paths that people can take and all of like these different kind of options that are there but she does it in a way that doesn't deny her heroine multiple opportunities to marry true Mm. love and a child. So, because I think sometimes what happens when we tell these stories is that we make the woman choose, right? So you can be independent, Mm. but this is your choice. You can do this, but this is your choice. Um, You can't, you can't have both. You can't be a working woman and have both. But Christy, I know like, we've got to bear in mind the time that it's happening in. So Christy does ultimately marry and have a child. And yes, she only ends up single because her husband passes away, but she doesn't live off her widow's pension. She doesn't give in, you know, she goes off to work even when she's a married woman and she doesn't have to. So I do think it's still interesting that Alcott is making those choices Mm -hmm. for Christy. So uh, in the same way that we have loads of different jobs, we also meet multiple different men who take on different roles to her. So there's uh, her uncle Enos, who she butts heads with, she doesn't get on with. Um, and I think he's one of the driving forces for her leaving home, right? Because she sees yeah. him and she's like, "That this could be my life. I could be married right. to a man who m- understands me as little as my uncle does. Um, and then we meet Mr. Stewart, her first employer, who is like ultimately amused by her, but he fails to protect her from his wife's erratic behavior. And so she loses her job. Like he it never he never steps up. You know, he seems like a nice yeah. enough employer, but it never goes so far as to actually making her life like decent. Right. Um, she finds a mentor in the older actor, Kent, who helps her in her work as an actress and who she really respects and admires and who kind of pushes her to explore that craft. Uh, Philip Fletcher, who's her would-be lover, who's an invalid, but I think like the wealthy invalid type, right? Mm-hmm. We're not sure what's wrong with him, but he's not working. He decides that Christy is his one desire and that she can like look after him in his old age. And he does propose to her, but he does so in a way that involves saying like, I'll tell everyone you're an actress, which is shocking. Yeah. And so you have to marry me or I'll tell them. And she's just like, I'm not going to do that. That's, you know, that's wild. Come on. None of that. 
and he does care about her that's the thing and so there's this moment after she turns him down where she kind of sees this glimpse of like the kind of depth shallow depth but like there is some depth it's like a slightly deep puddle it's been raining for a little while you know it's not an april shower it's like a storm Um, and she sees it but it's too late she's already she's already going um so she has to get a different job um and then he does come back he does come back and ultimately he redeems himself but at this first point he doesn't uh we meet when she's a companion we meet harry and augustus who are the two potentially mad brothers who i think they're very like fraternal in their treatment of her like mm-hmm. there's no kind of hint of romance in this story no at all. which would have been interesting if oh, this was, was like a full-blown yeah novel but it's just this it's so it's so weird i was getting like a lot of uh like connections between those two brothers actually because i felt like um they reminded me a little bit of eight cousins right if you swap charlie and mac so you've got harry who's the charlie character he's like going wild he's going out there and kind of doing everything just to speed up this death that he thinks is kind of promised for him and augustus is like very quiet and he's very serious and you know he is he's taking it all very heavily and i just think that like it's a tragic reversal because obviously in eight cousins charlie ends up dying because of that and then mac being the more serious one prospers but in this Mm -hmm. it's augustus who eventually succumbs to the madness and harry who redeems himself and kind of brings it around but i did yeah i recognize those two in there um and then in the second half of the book that's when we actually kind of get these developed male characters right and some of them are reintroduced from earlier in the book so my boy fletcher comes back um we've got mr power who's kind of like your hot priest vibe i think he's never described as being hot Mm -hmm. but sure he'd be played by kind of a hot older actor if this was a film wouldn't he yeah probably would he i don't know Oh, for Mr. Power, let's cast Benedict Cumberbatch, your favorite oh, actor. God, you know what? I I almost said that just just to move this conversation along. <laughs> Terrible casting. Um, and then we have Elisha Wilkins, who uh, ends up being a wife beater, but then like the book tries yeah. to redeem him. That happened. But like, that's the thing, though. He's like an interesting character. He's not like right. this one-dimensional person. So like, um, he's like you don't really get why his wife is into him she keeps saying how great he is and then you find out that there's at least one time that he strikes her and then everyone else is going off to war because the civil war breaks out and at first he's like i'm not gonna go i think what's interesting about elisha is that he is so resistant to it for such a long time and his wife mrs wilkins has to like she has to really work on him and like she Mm -hmm. won't feed him food and you know he threatens to go and drink and like there's all of this stuff where he's just like, I'm not going to do it. She's like, I'm not going to cook for you. And he's just like, he's, he doesn't buy it. He doesn't care, right? He doesn't want to go and put his life on the line for this thing that he doesn't care about. But then he goes and then when he's actually in the war, it's like, and then he cares because he's seeing it and he's involved yeah. and he's invested. And he doesn't like rush back at the first opportunity. He doesn't like try and injure himself so he can get sent home. And, mm-hmm. you know, and so I think it's interesting that he's, after being so reluctant to go out, he's actually one of the few characters we know who stays and and fights right and whose right. family are really proud of him because of what he goes to do so it's like his mind gets changed so i i mm-hmm. thought that i thought it was interesting i don't think he's like 
a likable character but it's just nice to see characters where they're not just the same from the start to the finish yeah where there's some growth i mean there's not Mm -hmm. a lot of growth in that first six chapter set right no because we don't get to know anyone yeah you don't really get to know anyone and then that's like sort of that really illustrates the difference between the beginning of this book and the end of this book where you're like oh now there's like growth and change and depth and (laughs) it's a completely different story Uh, and then of course you have David who is a philosophical flute playing hot gardener with a tragic secret (laughs) (laughs) that's my description of him and then a tragic secret a tragic which secret is not, not that as tragic. sexy as it sounds no, yeah and then the return of everybody's favorite cad fletch let's call him fletch uh, right, but fletch. by this point everyone's in the army and it's all very heroic and tragic and sad in equal parts so yeah true story there is a line at the end where she has rejected mr fletcher twice and right at the end, like right at the end, after her husband's dead and like, you know, oh, spoiler alert, David dies. Have we said that? <laughs> no, we haven't said that, right? No. Um. So there is this line at the end of the novel, after she's rejected uh, Mr. and then Colonel Fletcher uh, mm-hmm. twice, and it goes, she was a woman who could change a lover to a friend and keep him all her life. And this, it felt like super modern to me that line like other people were saying like the depiction of like being an actress felt really modern but I actually thought like depicting male and female friendships especially Mm -hmm. when you have the man who's kind of been spurned more than once I like that felt good but also now I'm like hello ex-boyfriends where are my birthday presents (laughs) (laughs) on the way Hannah they're on the way they, they got lost in the mail but um, yeah, she's like crying the second time she rejects him before all of the stuff breaks out of the war and stuff. And she's just like, yeah. I just, it's too, and she's doing it without the hope of another man. That's the thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like the Meg Ryan breakup and you've got mail when she mm. says there isn't someone else, but there's the thought of someone else. Right. Great, great scene. So when uh, Mr. Powers like first starts describing David and Christy kind of decides that she's gonna, like she starts romanticizing him, right? Mm-hmm. Did you get wives and daughters vibes from that bit? Yes. She's not as thoughtful, obviously, as Gaskell no. in this bit, but it was the it's language like the around like David and Christy was really quite lovely there was a lot of I mean you could feel it for a long time Mm -hmm. like it was in the air it's just I remember the way like Molly kind of in Wives and Daughters decides that she's going to be in love with like romantic Osborne and Mm. she's got all of these like romantic ideals about like what he's going to be like and like the poetry that he's going to like and the the, like how thoughtful he's going to be but then she ends up falling in love with the very capable and dependable with like these hidden depths roger instead and i do think that in a way david is both of the hamley lads and that she you know christy goes through that same realization because she Mm -hmm. has this idea painted in her head of who david is and what it is about him that makes him interesting and then when she meets him she's like i mean he's fine but like this isn't what you know like mr power suggested that he had this tragic past and you start seeing the stuff about letty kind of coming and you understand why Christy builds up this idea that he's like maybe been engaged and she died or engaged and she jilted him you know she starts to and I thought 
yeah, like she starts to like Catherine Moreland, the situation. He's like a puzzle to decipher, but it does feel inevitable when he is introduced to the story that he is going to fall in love with her and that she's going to fall in love with him. Like it's not, I don't know that you're necessarily on the edge of your seat until Kitty arrives about whether or not they're going to be together. Like it's, you know, you didn't get that with Fletcher, but you get it with David. And then in the same way, because unfortunately the civil war does break out and David does go to fight and he does die. That also felt like it was set in stone. Like, of course he would die. And of course Christy would go back to work. Mm-hmm. because that's that's the story yeah yeah it does well Alcott has that way doesn't she like that's like her narrative voice it does feel set in stone mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like you're experiencing it I thought Neve made uh, a valuable point when she said it's right what you know right and Alcott had never been a wife and I'm not sure she knew the perfect example of what she thought a couple should be, certainly not from her parents. Their abstract ideas, however, were much easier to access. And so for Alcott, it's like, would she have been able to necessarily write this authentic, believable married couple where the woman is still working? Now, I personally haven't read Joe's Boys, so I don't know. Mm -hmm. Loz, have you read it? What happens to Joe after she marries Bear? I don't know. maybe that'll have to be our next Alcott read-along next year we need a break (laughs) we'll figure that out later but yeah I don't yeah I don't know well there's not a lot of good templates for it for a good working relationship right like all this is kind of quite new Mm -hmm. so um yeah that is it's an interesting question like what does that marriage look like but I do think you kind of get like almost a germ of the idea of what the marriage would look like because she is there as his employee to begin with and they fall Mm -hmm. in love doing his work working together as florists and caring for the plants and stuff so although I think their married life would involve her looking after children looking after the house I do think they would have been business partners in a way because he does recognize her knack with the plants and with flower arranging and like Mm -hmm. he does he ascribes it to like you know women are good with flowers you've got an eye for it but she does add value to things and he's like oh this is like this is useful and after he dies it's his business that she continues and there is precedent for that historically right so Mm -hmm. widows you know even in medieval times widows taking over a deceased husband's business or trade because they've been there and they've been helping or running the business even while they were alive so if he had lived you know I think Alcott puts she does show you what it would look like mm-hmm. had, that had is she true. survived. So, I just on the uh, on one note I have on David here that I wanted to add was that um, we're talking about sort of like the language, the love language that she's using when she's talking about David. Um, this was a scene I can't remember which chapter it's from, but you know, Christy and David out on the porch. <laughs> you guys can you can figure it out. So um, it says. Christy went into the porch and found David sitting on the step, enjoying the mellow moonlight and the balmy air. As he did not speak, she sat down silently, folded her hands in her lap, and began to enjoy the beauty of the night in her own way. 
Presently, she became conscious that David's eyes had turned from the moon to her own face. He sat in the shade, she sat in the light, and he was looking at her with a new expression, which amused her. Well, what is it? You look as if you've never seen me before, she said, smiling. I feel as if I never had, he answered, still regarding her as if she had been a picture. What do I look like? A peaceful, pious nun just now. And then I just wrote hashtag boner killer. (laughs) (laughs) That honestly, that's my child line. (laughs) That's my kink. Well, I won't kink shame you, but I'm into that. It is really. I, I you know, I just felt like something was going to happen. And then he's You're like, telling you look me like a nun. That like some beardy Quaker hot flute playing philosophical babe gardener was like, hey, Lars, you look like a nun. That's <laughs> a panty dropper. Anyway. <laughs> so um, at school, we... Well, I've said it before, but we just don't learn that much about the American Civil War. And um, it, most of my knowledge comes from the Elijah Wood Huckleberry Finn, Gone with the Wind, and mm-hmm, like some mm-hmm. old problematic Mel Gibson film, probably, that I've more or less forgotten. But isn't that The Patriot? Is that what it's called? And uh, Heath yeah, Ledger's Heath in Ledger? it. Heath yeah, Ledger? And someone yeah. got shot. Wow, I forgot wow, about that My movie. dad loved that film. And so when so I was like super behind on reading this book and I think everyone else had finished it before I got to the end and everyone was like yeah and then the American Civil War happens and honestly I was just still in the first half and I was like I how does this work how does this how does this transition and it it doesn't feel sudden but like the way it's introduced it's like Alcott is writing so transnationalism doesn't exist yet you know we're writing for local more or less local audiences so Alcott is writing for an audience who will know the history of the American Civil War and I felt like when it's introduced it's like I don't need to tell you about you know that gunshot in this fort on this day Mm -hmm. but like was that is that like a key moment in history that she's referring to like does it feel authentic to the Civil War for for you as someone who lived lived through <laughs> as someone who lived through the American Civil War and then you know had a unit on it in history at least three times uh, in her life, but um, I will say like this is one of the moments like if I was the imaginary editor of this manuscript, I'd be like, can we build to this because I think. Um, There's a lot of things that are happening in these different households that are affected by what's currently going on politically in the country. Mm -hmm. Um, And that could really have led into the American Civil War a little bit more organically. Alcott has bitten off like way more than she can chew with this book. I mean, it is it is Avengers Infinity War and Endgame, Hannah. There's a lot of movies. in here and um i'm not sure where to look there could be a lot of really good concise books written from ideas from Mm -hmm. this book so like i think alcott if she did write a very concise book about the civil war and like the economics of the civil war and how that affected women's work that would have been very interesting because also alcott had a very unique perspective on this as someone who worked as a civil war nurse but you don't see it. Don't so see it. it's it's kind of a disappointment in that mm-hmm. sense. I remember reading um 
it's a book by a man, so I apologise. But Ian McEwan's Atonement and all of the scenes with Bryony mm. when she's working as a nurse are very poignant and very believable and touching, like going from the training and like actually doing the work. And again, that's the second half of, of that novel. So you've got, you know, like, I don't, that's someone who's out of time, who didn't have that personal experience managing mm-hmm. to kind of transport you there. And it's it's a shame that, Alcott isn't able to do that but before we move totally off um the topic of Pepsi I will say obviously I remember messaging you after I read that first bit and I was like what is going on with this Pepsi character because I just did not understand Alcott's like descriptions of Pepsi it seemed Mm -hmm. so like well-intentioned but misguided it felt like she was working too hard to like humanize this character that it felt like the narrator and then also to some level the author maybe felt better than yeah and it's then hard. it is and then but then you have to give yourself that like little pinch and say like i'm in 2019 the way people talk about stuff is different also like alcott was a very active abolitionist so then it's like you've just you've got that like cold water moment where you're just like okay I'm just push through just read it and it just isn't the way that we I think we talk about stuff now and it's so it's hard Mm -hmm. when it comes up in these books right and you just read it like it is well there is also a specific example too of like um when Hepsi when they're talking about Hepsi going to um try to free her mother and uh Alcott uses language like but but the chattel couldn't be free chattel, like referring to mm-hmm. her mother in those terms. And it's just like, I'm like, you There's don't realize that you're working. Yeah. You're working against your own cause here. Like mm-hmm. you're speaking, uh, you know, about these people as if they were animals versus humanizing them, which is what I think that you're trying to actually yeah. do. But <laughs> so then also the flip it's side, like a connection that's not being made about like how you're, you know, the language that she's using. But then she does say like, we should be doing this. We should be leaving money for this cause. We should be like, there are these almost steps that you can follow. And it's like today, right? When people like reparations, you know, support, don't just say that you're an ally, like support, like Mm -hmm. people of color financially, like shop in those businesses, like do all of these, you know, there are active things you can do. And I think Alcott is saying that. And she's saying like, employ freed servants, like, you know like you've got to go and fight this can't just be something that you let happen like these are families these are children and I think the second half of the novel is more successful in what she's trying to do yeah than the first half um as always I want to thank everyone for participating in this read-along I wasn't as active as I really wanted to be um in it but oh my god you guys always make the best comments and help me get through the text (laughs) And you're amazing. And I love you. Oh, thank I'm just you for doing the work with us. I'm just sorry that I didn't enjoy it as much as all of you. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I don't think that, um, it I don't matters. think that's bad though, right? Does it matter? I don't know. It was like we had good discussion out of it, yes. I thought. Yeah, so definitely. That's, that's the value. I don't know. And um, if it wasn't for this, we wouldn't have found the next thing we're going to talk to you about. And I don't know if we can reveal it, but work let's gave reveal it, it to us. We're going yeah. to talk about How I Went Out to Service, which was uh, published in 1874. It's about the same stuff as work, but it's much shorter. It's autobiographical and it's much better. And it's by Alcott. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'll go ahead and post that in the Facebook group and on Twitter. And if you guys want to give it a read, go for it. It's it's very good. Um, so yeah, we'll talk about that on the show um, in a week. How about that? And of course, this summer, we're going to be talking about another book. We're going to do another read along. Hannah, what is that read along? We're reading Mansfield Park. Finally, like it feels like a long time coming. I'm a bit mm-hmm. scared because it's a big boy of a book. It's it's long. Is it? It's chunky. So yeah, that will officially be our July read along. But if you wanted to pick it up now, since it is a big boy, um, go for it. Uh, I will start posting threads in the next couple of weeks and we can start discussing it. We have a bunch of really special guests lined up for the Mansfield Park uh, series. So I think those episodes are going to be pretty guest heavy with um, a few like listener comments and some like wrap up uh, at the end of each episode. But yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to revisiting it. Now. I'd say there's probably a going to be about two hours cumulative of Henry Crawford feelings from me, <laughs> which I'm hoping don't get cut. But, you know, you could we could do a super cut. Just Hannah's Henry. Get your books. Show us your books, by the way. Send them to us. Not in the post. Not in the post. Send us pictures of your books to our social media, which is what, Hannah? Our social media is, as always, on Instagram and Twitter at Bonnets at Dawn. Our email is bonnetsatdawn at gmail.com. And our Facebook is Bonnets at Dawn, which you find by searching for Bonnets at Dawn on Facebook, which I'm sure you all know how to use. 